Before we enter into today's podcast episode, I just want to share a poem that I wrote a couple of months ago now about the realities of the psycho-spiritual descent and unweaving from the patriarchal, super contracted and institutionalized relationship with feminine rites of passage and the psycho-spiritual descent. Everywhere I turned, there was some kind of control mechanism waiting for me in the shadows when I knew and my body knew what I actually needed was to unfurl and lay my body on the earth and to surrender without a story about how right or wrong or grounded or in integrity it was to be in my experience. Here's the poem. I actually need to uncontain my healing. I actually need to unfurl my body and lay my back against the earth. I actually need to strip off my barriers of lace and linen. I actually need to melt here for a bit. Let the sun bake me and bleach my bones. Maybe I'll come back as a root or a flower or an altarpiece for someone. Thank you for joining me for today's episode on the Ken Spirit Podcast. Today, I have for you a solo episode all about the realities of female rites of passage in the psycho-spiritual descent. And I want to just say and name that I am naming female rites of passage or female-bodied rites of passage because these rites of passage have been very, very linked historically to the womb cycles of death life, rebirth, and initiation that women have been storying and and naming in their mysteries for hundreds and hundreds of years. And in these stories, we all find all kinds of variations and ways of being with them. But today, it's felt so important to release this episode as the first episode in a series of episodes where I have conversations with folks from all over this community on rewilding the inner landscape, calling forth new elders and a new paradigm of eldership, the Aquarian age and Pluto and Aquarius and the transitions of Saturn and Pisces and what we can learn from that. All of these conversations might be first opened with the wisdom of soul descent and how every human on the face of the planet has been invited or will be invited to descend themselves to the level of the soul and grow into adulthood there. 
So this podcast episode, I share a little bit of my story, a little bit of behind the scenes, as well as I talk about some of the myths and the stories that have really uh, taken me into this descent to soul the last few months. And I don't feel shy about sharing it because I think that these are the stories that we crave for. Because they've been hidden and they have been shamed the women's mysteries, the womb mysteries, the queer tales of what it means to stand at the gap, at the crest between worlds and call forth a future. So I hope that this episode serves you wherever you're at. I know that every time I have talked about soul dissension and feminine rites of passage, many of you have sent me, flown to send me DMs about where you're at and how this resonates. And I know it's because we don't have these conversations as openly as we want to, as clearly as we want to. So here I start with some of the oldest stories that have been written about the goddess in the world, the anonymous the wild woman, la lopa, la juresera. These stories are guideposts. They are vials of medicine for a culture that we are currently building, the culture that's emerging from this generation and so on. So I hope they serve you. I hope they meet you where you're at. And if they do, don't be afraid to send a message, send a DM, let me know where you're at, how this is landing. I love to receive those. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Kin Spirit Podcast a podcast about imagining and crafting a more whole world. In these episodes, I'll be sharing conversations with people that I believe have beautiful perspectives, asking questions like, how might we craft futures of wholeness? What does that look like, taste like, feel like? What does it look like in our work, in our relationships with ourselves and each other, and in our relationship with the mystery and our myths? How can we allow wholeness to be centered in our human evolution and global creative processes? How can we craft a vision of the future that can really hold all of us? I hope these episodes support you in your own inquiry into these questions. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to the Ken Spirit Podcast. My name is Daje and I'm your host and it feels really good to be back after a long break from sharing episodes and conversations and stories here on the podcast. I want to just say thank you to each and every single one of our subscribers who have stuck with it, stuck with me, stuck with this podcast in the ebbs and flows and the changes of the last year and a half or so because it's been profound. It's been amazing. And it's been um, really beautiful to just allow myself to step outside of sort of the capitalistic industrialized rhythms of what a podcast should be or who I'm supposed to show up as and to really drop into the wisdom of the body here and honor what wants to come forward. 
And there are many ways to be consistent in the work and in this life. And if you follow me on Instagram over at the Story Doula, you know that this last season has been a season of deep world initiation. And what I mean by that is going into the underworld, really greeting the gates of hell and coming out to live to tell the story. And the reason why I share this and I feel zero amount of shyness or I feel zero amount of secrecy about it is because these are the rites of passage of feminine initiation. And for too long, they have been shushed, they have been hushed, they have been swept under the rug. Um, very much like our menses, our menstrual cycles have been quieted, have been silenced by hundreds and hundreds of years of patriarchy that says that these experiences that women go through, these descents to soul, these things that our bodies do are wrong. And I, um, you know, something has really clicked in for me, especially over the last few months of moving through my own initiation of starting my Saturn return and feeling um, this palpable, propitious, you know, do it now or best change in my work um, over the last year and a half or so, just really feeling those calls, what I would say from the goddess to really be true in my nature and to be true in my work. I feel that these are, you know, parts of the, the hidden mysteries that all the old ancient women's tales know about and all the queer stories that we know, they, they know about these experiences that women folk, womb folk, especially queer folk have when we are moving through our own particular rites of passage. And so having all of those identities, it felt really important for me to not hide the truth of that, to hide the reality of not only sort of my growing body where my body is becoming just a little bit fuller, my hips are fuller, um, I'm feeling more space in my spine, I feel like my shoulders are sitting on my body just a little bit more certainly with a little bit more confidence. I feel the depth in my voice. I can feel sort of the, a deeper texture in my literal vocal cords. You might be able to hear that. Uh, the difference between now and past episodes, if you've been listening for a while, there's an ease about it. There's an ease in my body, but there's also sort of... A I actually need to uncontain my healing I actually need to unfurl my body and lay my back against the earth. I actually need to strip off my barriers of lace and linen. I actually need to melt here for a bit. Let the sun bake me and bleach my bones. Maybe I'll come back as a root or a flower or an altarpiece for someone. Spiritual growth that I feel in my in my soul like i feel this like sort of widened capacity to be with life to be with beauty to be with pleasure even and i don't think it's because of some course that i did or some kind of you know just like some kind of curriculum that i followed along with i really just believe that you know, surrendering to the natural cycles of life and death that are happening in my body naturally brought these changes about and surrendering to the openness, the wider stance, the depth that my body wanted to carry and grow into 
naturally just allowed me to be here. And so I honor that and I hope to model that it's okay to honor the changes in our lives, right? It's okay to honor the deaths and the life cycles that come because these are inevitable and these are what the old women's mysteries and the queer tells know. They tell us this over and over and over again. And because of our conditioning in a patriarchal capitalistic society, we have been taught to sort of leave these stories in the books on the shelves and to not see ourselves fully in them and to not integrate them. We've been taught to over-intellectualize them, to pick them apart and study them when actually they are the transmissions of our grandmothers, 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 and the first goddess, Inanna, who was ever to be written um, on any kind of paper with any kind of advice. Her her story was the very first to be written and her story, her myths, the wild woman myths have been the stories that have carried me. Persephone has been the stories that have carried me through my descent to soul, through this very specific initiation that I have been going through. And I live to tell it and I'm so thankful. So where I've been, I've been um, really just sitting with, you know, some of the final pieces of the last season dropping into place. And what I mean is not just physically in my life, but just the wisdom that has been dropping in my soul when I finally got myself out of New Mexico and landed in California. I'm here in Northern California in Nevada City. So many pieces dropped in for me. I mean, so many different pieces. I feel like the last couple of weeks have been just like um, an evolution and they've been full of revelation and full of uh, just recognizing the divine's hand in all things. And through that and through these pieces coming in, through my dreams, through my visions, through people in my life, um, I've decided to move back to New Mexico, um, not because of any like swivel pivot uh, urgency, but because I recognize New Mexico as my home and um, I recognize my work there. I recognize my voice there and there's work for me to do there that I have no idea about, but I hear the goddess speaking. And I know that it was important for me to leave New Mexico for a time, to transit out of my environments, to shift it up, and to sort of get myself into the cool river waters of the Yuba River here in California, and to cleanse my palate. And now I'm going back because there's medicine for me there. That's where my death work and my initiation work wants to be born. That's where some of my writing wants to be uh, nurtured. And so that is a little bit of where I've been just honoring these final stages of the death cycle, really bowing to the the holiness of this experience, Um, just the sheer holy beauty of utter and complete decimation that literally almost took me out and I can see the wisdom of this and it isn't that I haven't had experiences in the past that have brought me to the very end of myself 
But this time around, because of the stories of the goddess, because I have surrounded myself with women, I get it now. There's something that has clicked in for me that was always in me, like all women's bodies and all female body people have eggs in their bodies, right? We have these eggs. It's part of what our menstrual cycle is that live in our bodies. And they're, they're like these eggs were also in our mother's bodies and our grandmother's bodies. We've always, we are like this nested system of life and wisdom. And this wisdom has always been in me. Like the eggs in my body have always been in me. And what has cracked open for me has been so profound and so steadying and so nurturing and so rooting. I can't imagine who I would be if I had surrendered to, instead of surrendering to the initiation, surrendered to the pathology, surrendered to this experience of perhaps, you know, there's something wrong with me for having all of these panic attacks. Um, perhaps there's something wrong with me for holding my grief so acutely. Um, I can't imagine who I'd be if I'd surrendered to the hyper-medicalization of my experience and and instead of allowing myself to surrender to my inner knowing which was this will pass this death this darkness will pass um and i don't know how, like if i will literally survive it right because this is a part of it and we're going to get into some of that too but i know that this is a part of it i know that all all of what I'm experiencing right now and the truth and the like the viscerality and the ferality of my internal landscape right now and the dark night of the soul that I was moving through, the grievous experience that I was moving through, I knew that, that there was a part of me that knew that this was all a part of the sequence. And, um, and with it also came exile and acute abandonment and the resurfacing of all the stuff that I thought that I dealt with in my self-help uh, plunges to like become more vulnerable and to heal my psychoschematic shame and like to do the shamanic work. I thought, you know, all that work that I'd done had been done. But what I love about the realities of female rites of passage, and I say female specifically because I'm talking about the wisdom of the literal womb and the way the body, the hormones, the experience of having a womb colors the psycho-spiritual descent to soul that is feminine rites of passage and initiation. And like there, I if if I, yeah, I don't know who I would be if I had listened to sort of the patriarchal story of what this is. I think I would have quit. I think I would have surrendered to surrendered my work. I think I would have, there's, there's a lot of things I probably would have done, but it wouldn't be continuing. Um, and so what I want to talk about too is like, the beauty of that, right? Because here's the thing. The deep incline, the sort of vertical incline 
started the day after I started the study of the wild woman, literally the day after. And I knew it in my body. I knew the wild woman was calling me to my body to descend, calling me to turn on the ears of my body. And this is where I really want to begin our discussion for today. And this podcast episode is this idea of studying the wild woman. I mean, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes talks about this in the second chapter, how we cannot study her. We cannot over-intellectualize her. That these are the stories when we listen that may be found in our bodies, right? And so when I was hosting our wild woman study group over the spring and meeting with each group, I had an in-person group and I had an, an online group, I began to doubt myself in the midst of it. And I don't mind saying that because I think that this is a part of it. I think this is a part of it. I think everything was divinely orchestrated. I think that everything was on purpose. Everything was on time. But I, I really began to doubt myself. I began to doubt the integrity of being able to show up and hold the space. And what I didn't hear from the goddess, what I didn't hear from spirit was to stop, to stop doing what I was doing. Actually, what I heard was to keep going, to go deeper, to get more honest in these spaces, to hold a deeper stance, right? And I think this is actually like the wisdom of Wild Woman, which was you cannot enter into the the gates of the underworld. You cannot enter into the realm of bones still holding any semblance of um, pride and any semblance of who you think you are coming into these gates, becoming the wild woman archetype. She laughs at our neatly polished uh, facilitation and space holding techniques. She honors it, but I feel like she really laughs because I know for myself, I hid behind my certification. I hid behind my training and the wild woman has invited me very in a very real sense to really say, okay, let's surrender all that we thought we knew about how to be in these spaces and deepen into the body and deepen into the power as a result of being in the body, right? Because that is the actual wisdom that I have to transmit. That's the actual space holding that I have to bring. It's not from learning all of the emergent strategy facilitator techniques, which <laughs> jokes on me, the whole emergent strategy facilitator training was about being honest, being real, and deepening, being an undisturbed and loving witness, right? So, so it doesn't matter, you know, how, you know, quote unquote, in an integrity I am. It doesn't matter how, you know, perfect I am. When we enter the doors of the underworld, all of that dissolves. When we become the wild woman archetype, all of that gets a little flimsy and watery and we're asked to show our real selves and not only just our real good selves, but also to really see the subconscious realm of our psyche. Right? So the wild woman initiated me 
by wanting to start the study group, by wanting to step into this feral expression of the nature, but also by breaking any any part of me that thought that I could study her rather than embody her, rather than invoke her, rather than call her in. The wild woman archetype shook me awake in the realest way. What happens when the wild woman archetype finally shakes you awake? Have you ever had that opportunity to be shaken awake by the wild woman thinking that all of my goodness, all of my armor, all of my intuitive techniques, all of my training in the supernatural school of ministry, all of my training in the mystery school, all of my energetic boundaries are going to protect me and hold me in the realms of the goddess, right? What happened with all of that for you? Have you ever had that experience? Do you know it's coming if you haven't already? Right? Some of you who are in that 28, 29 um, phase of, of adulthood and you are being invited to stand at the threshold of your Saturn return and take ownership of your world. What is being done with all of that training, right? right? There's one part of it where we stop using it as an identity crutch um, and we stop painting ourselves with it and start making it our sort of garment and our armor and our um, sort of like ceremonial wear. And we are asked to strip, to come bare to the naked doors of the underworld, come bare naked. And something that the wild woman taught me is that that no matter how much reading I do, there's nothing I can actually literally do. There's not enough information that I can take in to actually prepare myself enough for the realities of psycho-spiritual descent, except to be near other women who know of it and who, who know of these realms and to listen to their mysteries. The wild woman says, they will tell you. They know. And was I surrounded at first by women in who knew the mysteries? No, not at first. But I got surrounded. Right? And it was, I remember, it was three days after I'd started the study group and I was going through this like very sudden, sharp breakup. And um, and I was spiraling downward and I'd never had this sort of experience. My divorce was worlds easier than this breakup. Let me tell you, worlds easier. And I was surprised by it. And I um, began to have rolling panic attacks that were uncontrollable. And the only thing that worked for me was deep, deep breathing, being on the physical land, even though it was cold, and to take salt, super salty baths with flower essences and essential oils and the kinds that were really grounding to me, like cedar wood and patchouli, really saved my ass over the last five months of 
this last year. And so those were the only things that really supported me. There wasn't enough therapy that I could do. There wasn't enough, you know, there are friends who are like, you should take medication. But I knew in my body, I knew in my bones that I should not take medication for my uh, panic attacks. And I was holding people and like guiding and coaching throughout all of this. So having to not lose my center completely, having to really deepen into my stance And at one point I had to take time off of work to really hold that. The wild woman initiated me. And the only thing in that period that saved me was meeting with other women, being around other women and listening and hearing their mysteries. Wild woman says, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can bring in the descent. The only thing that you have is the wisdom of your body. And as you descend into the dark, into the viscous thick of night, the only thing you have are the ears of your body, the attunement of your nervous system to all that is here. Your eyes, your perception will widen. She talks about how um, this, this way of accessing our instinct and our intuition is, is the initiation, right? We're really allowing ourselves to release all that we know and all that we've been known by and to call on the deep, feral, sounds of the body. If you're like me, if you've been searching the earth, searching online, and in your in-person communities for people who are willing to have these kinds of conversations and in a real way without bypassing the realities of any of it, then I have an announcement that I'm sure you'll love. Maybe you're someone who has been searching for the places to be seen and heard and understood in your mysteries, as well as to see and hear and witness the mystery of others. If this is you, I want you to know that I banded together with a small group of other women who are hungry to have these kinds of conversations in real life. And together, we have created Threshold Keeper. Threshold Keeper is a midsummer threshold crossing respite for healers and medicine keepers in the Redwood Forest of Mendocino, California. It will be taking place on July 27th through the 30th, 2023, and I'm so excited to officially invite you to join us. This is a retreat for the ones who hear the unmistakable call to surrender to the wisdom of the Psyche's song. It's for those who know that their life's work is to traverse the deep world, the liminal spaces of mystery, death, change, birth, and initiation, in order to gather the ingredients of the medicine that they know will serve their people in these times of immense cultural change. Threshold Keeper, it's for those who honor that the path of becoming is not rainbows and fairies, but 
really tending to the daily work of walking firmly upon the rich, dark soil of a changing earth. Threshold Keeper is more soulful convergence than luxurious getaway, and though we will rest, dine, and commune sensually in the spirit of Eros and by the wisdom of the body, we will also be recommitting to our devotion. We will grieve and release over the fire and circle together, and we will prophesy over the bones together, calling forth the deep song of our souls, the land, and our culture. I want to invite you from the depths of my soul and the bottom of my heart to join us for these three days and three nights of potent communion, real world conversation, and sacred initiation on the unceded territory of Pamo land. Inside of Threshold Keeper, we're going to have nightly long table dinners, shared cabin spaces, an opportunity for you to camp in the meadow if sharing a cabin space feels less like what you want to do. We have a sanctuary and rest. We'll have evening drum circles around the fire. We'll have sacred tattoo facilitated by tattoo ceremonialist Ashley River. We'll have morning breath work and meditation, real conversations and shame-free communion, dancing and release, non-psychedelic poisonous plant spirit journeys to go into the deep, deep spaces of the soul psyche. We'll have a grief circle and facilitated counsel on topics that really challenge us. And this experience in all of its nourishment and all of its depth will be an initiation into a new realm, a new territory of what it means to be connected, what it means to be in communion as we descend together as a culture, as we descend individually. This space is for doulas, space holders, visionaries, seers, healers, highly sensitive intuitives. It's for women and womb folk and female-bodied people who have been through and are going through a psycho-spiritual descent and long to integrate their experiences in communion. Spiritual and healing arts professionals are welcome to join us if you seek to be a part of a larger conversation regarding our culture's need for soul-level rites of passage into adulthood and eldership. This is for those who hunger for futures full of adult and elder initiates that understand our need to increase our collective cultural awareness around the feminine cycles of initiation and the heroine's path. We will hold counsel around this conversation. This space is for those who seek to recommit to their devotional path and know that the only thing standing in the way between them and their future is the path of descent. This retreat is for your soul level liberation. So I invite you to join us, if you can, on July 27th through the 30th to stay with us, to commune with us, to dine with us, to dance with us, together with a group, a room full of women who care about each other and care about the world. May our souls together call forth a new way of being together. May we dance, may we love, may we know our wholeness. Find all the info you need in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of this episode.
when we enter into the psycho-spiritual descent to soul, which every human gets one, every human gets at least one, right? And it all comes, it comes differently for everyone. Some people receive their initiations medically. Some people receive their initiations relationally. Some people receive their initiations publicly, collectively. Some people receive their, their initiations financially, right? However it comes for you, it will come. And these will be the gateways, the doors into your fuller, more true self. This is what becoming an adult is about. This is what, you know, I love Bill Pluck and you've heard me talk about his work again and again and again and again. And he talks about this inside of Journey to Soul Initiation, the descent to soul. And I know that Bill Plotkin talks about how to prepare for the descent to soul, but I want to name that that is really a beautiful idea, right? To prepare for the descent to soul. The only thing that we can really do is know the wisdom of the body, right? To know how to listen and attune to the wisdom of the body and to surround ourselves with people who know. And that's kind of right now that could, my, my opinion on that could change in the future, but that is what my body knows. That is the only thing that kept me spiritually and physically alive instead of becoming a zombie of myself and the culture. There's a point in the descent where the wild woman will call on you to sing over the bones, to sing your deep soul sound. And what I want to say is that this is not pretty at first. At first will come the whale because you are confronted with everything that you don't want to be confronted by. You are confronted by the subconscious, the repressed psyche, all of the things, all the parts of you that you have been hiding and spending so much energy and time trying to quote unquote, you know, integrate and, and to not show and to be in self-control over these things that we're told that in order to be an adult, you have to be in control over these urges, these desires, your sexuality, your wants, your needs, your hurts, your pains. And we have to suppress all of that and we have to lock it away because we have to now be contributors to society. And in the goddess myths, it says, this is the first stop. We look at this, we confront it, we see it, we know it, we understand the texture of it, we get neutral with it. And the only way to get there into the neutrality of the body when we see our deep soul self that has been repressed in the psyche is that we wail. We learn to wail. We learn to express the deep soul guttural sounds of the body, the animal nature. And then once we learn to wail, once we learn to weep, once we learn to surrender the clarity of the true voice, unburdened by the pains of the past and the anxieties of the future and the pain of this world that we're trying to save, comes through and we begin to learn the texture of our soul sound, its shape, its breath, its depth, 
get to sing from the true voice, unburdened, individuated, freed, liberated. And when we get to know the voice as clumsily as it comes out of the body, we then sing the song of our souls and ourselves. He learned to sing the soul song. The lyrics completely our own, made up only of the words of our life, beckoned into existence by the muse. And this process is not your local session with your vocal instructor. It's not your local therapy session. It is a instinctual human process. It cannot be self-helped into. You can't self-help your way into the deep soul sound. It must be invoked and the only way that it is invoked is when we find the willingness to greet the dark, to say hello to the gates of the underworld in our psyche. Saying hello to the wisdom of dissension, seeing the womb as the place of that embodiment. You don't need to know literally every part of your uterus, every name of every part, although that's helpful, in order to descend in the deep soul sound, in order to gain the wisdom of death from your body, of complete and utter decimation, of complete um, and utter just surrender. But your body will show you right? There's a point in the dissension cycle. There's a point where you are completely shrouded in darkness. And you might know this one, right? I know many mothers who have birthed children know this one. I know many of those of you who have suffered immense heartbreak know this one the complete shroud of darkness, where there is no clinging to hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's only you, the dark and uncertainty of your survival. These are the places of utter decimation. These are the places where the women's mysteries live on. These are also the places where the women's mysteries have been silenced and erased because a complete surrender of all that we are and all that we've known and all that we are known for is a recipe for psychosis. And we are hung by life for seeking the wisdom of the complete and utter death. The reason why it is a recipe for psychosis is because our culture has rejected the descent 
And if you know a little bit about Carl Jung's work, he talks about psychosis. He talks about how the psyche begins to split and separate because of shame. If you know anything about internal family systems, right? And this, this work of soul retrieval, this work of reclaiming parts of the soul. Psychosis is deep soul level exile of the parts of us that need, that crave, that want for something that this world cannot give, that our parents could not give, that we are terrified and ashamed to give ourselves. We paint it as bad, as wrong, as psychotic, but these are the nature. These are part of the nature of the feminine rite of passage. And you can't walk into a single mental health institution and get the straight answer because they all just want to medicalize. And that has been the reality for hundreds of years for many women. I appreciate Jungian analysts like Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes and, and other women who have done the work to really ground these stories and reality and reclaim for ourselves these necessary rites of passage into the deep world. I also recently stumbled upon another therapist, um, somatic therapist who wrote a book on um, the embodiment of the anonymous myth. The, the book is called Descent and Rising. And I love how Carly Mountain describes the psycho-spiritual descent and the reality of it and the texture of it and the nature of it and why we need other women, why we need other womb folk if we're queer, especially, I feel like especially folks who are queer and have wombs get especially lost in the margins of this wisdom. I mean, I am one of those people, right? <laughs> um... And we paint it as bad, we paint it as wrong, we paint it as psychotic, the complete and utter descent. But the reality is that in order for women to become full-on adults, we need to be able to greet the dark. We need to be able to greet our blood. We need to be able to befriend the completion the death cycles of initiation, where our bodies become one with the earth, one with creator, one with life. And our wisdom begins to evolve from all the things that we individually know and begins to root itself in a wider ecology. This is about all the things that all of our grandmothers and our, our mothers and their mothers knew about what it means to be in this life. I'm reminded of the anonymous, um, which I've been sitting with much more closely recently. And later in this podcast season, I'm really going to go deeper into this. I really want to see if I can invite Carly Mountain crossing my fingers onto the podcast to talk about the anonymous. But if not, if there's no availability there, I will talk about it. And I want to go into this story much, much deeper because it's so rich 
But for now, I find it really fascinating that her door to the underworld was her, her goodness as queen, her benevolence, her savior complex. Because she realized that her sister, Arish Kegal, had been in the underworld for a little too long. And she was starting to feel a little bit suspect that nobody was asking questions about why she had been gone for so long. No one was missing her. No one was saying, where is Arishkagal? No one was going after her. She was like, well, no, well, I will go. Actually, I'm going to see what's up because I miss my sister and I want her um, to come home. I, I, I'm going to go save her from the dark. Inanna dons her shields, her clothing, her tools, her, her jewels. She puts on her ceremonial gear. And the good queen, that, like the good queen that she is, she walks up to the gates of the underworld. And with every bone in her body, she's ready to face the dark. She's ready to rescue, do what is required to rescue Arashkagal from the demons of the underworld. From the exile that she must feel. Her sister hears of this quest that Inanna goes on. And she, having been exiled for many, many years, is enraged. How dare she think that she could come and save me? How dare, after all of these years, after all of my weeping and my crying and my aloneness and my exile and my abandonment, I have been utterly forsaken by my family, by my people. How dare she think she could just waltz in and save me? So Rashkagal sets up guards at the seven gates of hell. And she requires of Inanna all of her garment and clothing. And at every gate Inanna reaches, she's asked to shed a layer. And she's confused by it. And she asks, why is this happening? And the guardians of the gate say, do not question the ways of the underworld. Ways of the one, the underworld and Anna are perfect. Do not question. Do not question. And so at each gate, she sheds a layer. And each layer has such significance and such meaning from the crown, the lapis lazuli around her neck to the two strands of beads that hold her voice in place to the breastplate. Every layer of clothing down to her robes, the very last fragment of her garments. She is asked to strip and she she leans in just a little bit, even as she is feeling the fatigue of moving through the dark for days, having to navigate with only the ears of her body, no light, no help, silence, her breath, her body crawling through the dark into the gates of the underworld. And in the last gate, she sheds 
her last layer of clothing still asking, why am I doing this? Why am I shedding my clothing? Why is this necessary? And the guardians of the gate tell her not to question. The ways of the underworld are perfect in every way. And so she surrenders until finally she meets her sister, who is not happy to see her. She does not care. She had been so abandoned for so many years, left to her own devices for so many years. Narishkagal represents the dark and repressed nature of the psyche, the parts of us that have been so shamed and so exiled and so pushed down that we have to desperately cling to the good girl, the good queen, the good woman in order to shut her out. Rishkagal felt that. You were so devoted to your queenly goodness. You didn't even think about me. You didn't even know that I was down here. You didn't even think to question why I've been here for so long. It's been so many years, so many hundreds of years, and you have just been sitting on your throne. Anana got no chance to speak up or fight for herself, really. Because as soon as she entered the, the underworld, as soon as she began to speak, Areshkigal took her body and hung her on a hook and completely decimated her. Completed the act. See, what I love about this story, the oldest goddess myth on the face of the planet, is that these seven gates of hell weren't some kind of test to see what Inanna was made out of. These seven gates of hell weren't some kind of like, a, like you know, reversible ascension ladder where at the end she gets the cake. It wasn't about that because she was going to be decimated anyway. She was going to die anyway. She was going to be killed by her sister anyway. And her sister was content to leave her on that hook for the rest of eternity for all she cared. She was going to die. <laughs> and these seven gates were, um, yes, they were a part of the initiation, but there was no ladder. This was a dissension into the inevitable. The mythology of Inanna is a powerful recognition of what it means to embrace the realities of the fem female rite of passage, the womb uh, world rites of passage of death, initiation, and change, and what that means and how we are utterly altered once it's done. Of course, there's another side of this world. There's another side of this story where Anana eventually rises, but not without the help of the village, not without the help of her, um, her handmaiding and the emissaries of a sea god <laughs> who was in his own way sort of outcast and weird and strange and reviled himself. Queer, fascinating god 
mythology of Inanna is about becoming undone, unraveled from all of the stories and the systems and the ways of being that the patriarchy has invited us to be that calls it good. This is, this is what it means to be normal, says the patriarchy. It means that you, the divine feminine, are soft and receptive and open, but we can not we cannot be soft and receptive and open without the descent to soul. We can be, it will only last for so long. Before the inevitable. We have to detach ourselves from the good girl, rescuer, savior, queen of light identities and embrace the insight and the wisdom of the bare, naked body transiting through the depths of hell. This is the reality of female rite of passage and the descent to soul. Right? And I love this. I love all aspects of it. I love how Anana's ascension is not this single revolutionary climb back up to the upper world to reclaim and dominate the kingdom and become the queen. It's actually this very, very, um, like, like ecologically intertwined, which means that there's a lot of relationality to it. There's a lot of surrender to it. There's a lot of like being seen dead by the ones who come and find her. Right? So there's, this is not some ego climb into the social media goddess, version of the goddess, who doesn't know how to hold herself or whose sovereignty is based on her own self-concept. I love what Carly Mountain says. She says that the heroine's journey humbles us enough to acknowledge our individual, structural, and collective wounding. It pulls our human wounded self and our divine spiritual self and soulful self together. It provides an ancient map that guides us home. Right? And so in every aspect of these myths, the wild woman, the loba, la jesuera, I can never say la jesuera, La Juecera. <laughs> I struggled in my city group too. But all of these myths, Isis, Persephone, Hecate, all of them, they're not just some cute little stories that we tell ourselves at bedtime. They are vials of medicine. Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes didn't write the wild woman. She didn't write of women who run with wolves because she wanted to create a self-help book, how to get a man back in 10 days, how to hold yourself with sovereignly embodiment. She didn't create that book. It's not how to get your finances together how to pay taxes. She's not writing that book. She didn't write that. What she wrote was a survival manual. And it's a survival manual for not just being in the world, but surviving the psycho-spiritual descent 
while being in the world. Key difference. How do you hold your body intact while you are being decimated? It's not something that you do alone, they say. What the wild woman, the old women say. It is something that happens when you are being breathed upon by people who are invoking not just your goodness, not just your life force, but all aspects of you. Your raw, funky, hairy, naked body ascending from hell. And they are invoking They are singing your soul song, calling you up from the deep to rise and remember that your power, yes, is yours, but it comes from being rooted so deep that you know what lies beneath that final crust of earth. You know the fire that that exists there. You know how hot it can get. You are so rooted that you not only know of the water that lies beneath the earth and the wells, but you also know about the deep earth fissures, the cracks, the lava. You know it all. You are so rooted. You've been to hell. You have descended. You have died and you know what it means to rise again because your soul has been called upon this i feel like this is the part that really really gets me this part that initiation and intuition is not a solo effort it never was meant to be it's not a self-help solo effort that you do on a weekend It is not, it is not, okay? I want to read from, um, from Descent and Rising for a bit because I think that Carly Mountain has some wisdom here. And then I want to read from the wild woman for a second because I think that Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes is sharing an old truth that we all know in our bodies and we must remember that we cannot do this alone and that dying is inevitable and we must surrender. When Anana descends, she makes a choice to enter the dark. When we see in the dark, we do not look through the cones of our eyes as we do in the light. Instead, the light that's available is received by the rods in our eyes, meaning that we see less color and look more peripherally. We have to widen our view. This also heightens our other senses and brings us into our bodies. The descent is also a process of arriving in the body, and through that, the depths of the underworld. Coming from a society that praises the rational, visible, and quantifiable, we may not immediately trust the dark or easily adapt to this new landscape. I wonder if this is one of the reasons why the heroine's journey is less written about, as it is less seen, 
but also difficult to capture without losing the essential essence of what we are trying to describe. To widen our view, our pupils literally become more open. This opening and widening to the dark heightens our sensitivity and awareness. In the light of day, we are bombarded by color, information, and noise. Night is quieter, more mysterious, and demands a visceral expansion of our awareness to navigate. The other time our eyes dilate this way is when we see someone we are attracted to. Our pupils widen to take in more of them. We so often associate the dark with fear. But actually, the dark is the thing that literally opens us to love and enables us to be receptive to the world of our longing. We were created in the dark womb of our mother. Our first music was the heartbeat, and our first home was the dark. Dr. Sue Carter says in The Biology of Love, without loving relationships, humans fail to flourish, even if all their basic needs are met. Love lost is one of the most powerful forms of stress and trauma. We now understand that the causes and consequences of love, or its absence, are grounded in a biology that operates largely below the level of human consciousness. This place below human consciousness is the underworld of our being, and the place that the heroine must enter. Whilst the hero puts on armor and goes out into the world for his journey, the heroine takes her armor off as she descends into her body, unprocessed trauma and life. The heroine's journey offers a spiritual path that does not ask us to deny any aspect of our experience or who we are. Rather than building up, we are asked to come down to the earth as we meet and embrace all parts of ourselves. Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes writes here, A healthy woman is much like a wolf, robust, chock-full, strong life force, life-giving, territorially aware, inventive, loyal, roving. Yet separation from the wildest nature causes a woman's personality to become meager, thin, ghosty, spectral. We are not meant to be puny with a frail hair and inability to leap up, inability to chase, to birth, to create a life. When women's lives are in stasis, ennui, it is always time for the wildish woman to emerge. It is time for the creating function of the psyche to flood the delta. How does wild woman affect women? How does wild woman as ally, as leader, as model, as teacher? We see not through two eyes, but through the eyes of intuition, which is many eyed. When we assert intuition, we are therefore like the starry night. We gaze at the world through a thousand eyes. The wild woman carries the bundles for healing. She carries everything a woman needs to be and know. She carries the medicine for all things. She carries stories and dreams and words and songs and signs and symbols. She is both vehicle and the destination. 
And so with this, I leave you with an invocation, an invitation to instead of avoiding and hiding away from and shying away from and shaming yourself in the realities of the female rite of passage and psycho-spiritual descent to soul, instead of fighting it, lean in and surround yourself with women who know. Surround yourself with women who hold the ancient and uncontested medicines and stories of the goddess, stories of the womb. Surround yourself with women, with womb folk, with female-bodied people who have been through the psycho-spiritual descent to soul. It's very important. And if you can't find those women in your local community, because I do believe it's important for us as women to be around other physical bodies who know and hold these stories. There's a transmission there that happens. There's an entrainment there that happens that cannot happen through the digital realm. It's something that digitality can't quite um, fabricate, right? We have to be embodied with other women who know these stories too and be witnessed in that undisturbed way, not picked apart, not psychoanalyzed, but deeply seen eye to eye, gaze to gaze and held. I pray you remember. I pray you find them. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ken Spirit, an emergent spiritual collective of creatives and dreamers who are dedicated to the work of bridging the gap between the everyday and the sacred and storying our way through great change. Your listenership means the world to us. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider adding an honest rating and a written review so that more people can find the conversations we're holding. In between episodes, you can find us on social media at Kenspirit or kenspirit.podcast. And you can find me, your resident story doula, at thestorydoula.co. Until next time, see you later.